You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome to episode 53 of Distilling Theology. I'm your host, Blake Corbright, joined by my co-host, Justin Van Riper. What's going on, my my dude, my guy? My die? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, you could, um, you could potentially uh, be a, a die that is used in fabric. Oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, I am. I am. I am. I'm doing well, my friend. I'm doing well. I am uh, alive and happy to be here with you again in our uh, lovely weekly fellowship. Mm. Uh, it's not enough. It's not enough time together, but I like to take advantage of it while we, while we have it. Amen. Same here, man. But alas, the distance that separates us is, uh, so great that we must have, uh, the technology of zoom to connect us from afar. So speaking of zoom, (laughs) yes, please follow that. We have zoomed our way right into the holiday season (laughs) and uh, it's time. I mean, we are, we are, I mean, by the time you're listening to this, uh, we're hoping that you had Merry Christmas. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whoops. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we were Merry Christmas listen, last Friday. It's still Friday. before, it's, it's still before New Year's. We're in That's between, right? right? Uh, we're, we're celebrating Christmas with our families and we hope you are with yours, um, in whatever capacity you feel necessary. You could say uh, we are we are anticipating uh, the end of 2020, the end of this current age, and the beginning of a new age, and we are uh, already and not yet there. A new age, but not a new covenant. Oh, because we already are in one of those. <laughs> Listen, you guys can also zoom your way over to shopdistillingtheology.com. Grab yourself a knit hat, a hoodie like these for our patrons. You can see these. Uh, we also have shirts for men and women. Blankets, mugs, and so much more. Actually, it's, that's pretty much it. But head on over there <laughs> and take a look at the stuff. It's, you know, uh, it's good stuff. If you forgot to get your relatives a Christmas gift, get them a you can order a face, face mask. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says happy 2021 like a distilling theology face mask. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. Wow. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, for tonight, this uh, this beverage we have here smells delicious. It does. Unfortunately, we were not able to connect during the week, so we were not able to do the bottle age technology. But don't worry, we'll taste it in a future episode. Indeed, we will. So, yeah. However, we do have a mezcal, <gasps> which I'm super excited about. This is Gracias a Dios, which is thanks be to God, mm. which we are very thankful to God yeah. in this holiday season. Uh, for getting us through another year, yeah. uh, relatively unscathed, all things considered. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about this mezcal, though, Blake. I'm excited. It smells delicious. 
Yeah, uh, for those of you on Patreon, you can see it looks like water. <laughs> it does. But don't be deceived because, because it is this is water. <laughs> this is. So, yeah, we tasted a mezcal back in episode 38, uh, right before we had our back to back epic covenant theology episodes, um, which if so, you haven't heard them yet, go listen to so them. But uh, so this is the second mezcal we've tasted on the podcast. So I will reiterate some of the things that I said in that episode about this as a category of spirit. So it's a broad category of distilled spirits uh, that are distilled from the agave plant or specifically from the hearts or the pinas of the agave plant. Um, tequila is actually a subset of mezcal. Um, it's a specific form, just like with, with specific regulations governing that label, much like cognac is a subset of brandy and bourbon is a subset of whiskey that meets specific requirements. Um, tequila is a subset of mezcal, but oftentimes when people talk about artisanal mezcals, you're dealing with ones that, uh, have been matured a certain time. And we're talking about the plant, the age of the actual plant before it's harvested, not the age in a barrel, because there's some that are not aged, some that are aged in barrels. Um, and this one is, uh, is a young, uh, or unaged. It's a, hence the clarity, right? There's no barrel influence in this. Um, but the plant was cultivated after about eight years. So this particular mezcal is handmade by Oscar Hernandez in Matalan, uh, Oaxaca in Mexico. Um, it comes from 100% agave. Uh, this is Espadin agave, which is like most of the um, mezcals are distilled from this particular type of agave. Uh, it has a relatively short growing period of eight years and a high yield per plant. Um, but I've had some mezcals that have been where they didn't harvest the plant for 25 years and then they harvest and distill it. So you end up with just more richness and complexity the older the agave plant is at the time of harvest. Mm. Um, but I find Mezcal super fascinating. This is bottled at 45% alcohol by volume or 90 proof. Um, and I'm excited to sip it. I'm, I'm, I've softened up to tequila because of me- good Mezcals and I've had good tequilas. But Mezcal is probably one of my all-time favorite spirits. So what do you get on the nose, Justin? Okay. <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's very zesty. Um, there's almost uh, a kind of an interesting mix between like grapefruit. You know, you get the sort of yep. bitter, the bitter sweetness of grapefruit, mm-hmm. maybe lemon, but also like smoke, almost like a, like a barbecue smoke. Yep. I definitely get that. Like I get more of a, char- a slightly more charcoaly smoke. I also mm-hmm. get like, um, very, very salty smell as well. And, uh, somewhat somewhat earthy or grassy like it's a very i find mezcal just really really fascinating and pleasant it like this reminds me of sitting somewhere in the summer with like a sea breeze almost you mean like uh in the gulf of mexico (laughs) oh wild actually it reminds me of being in puerto rico when i was young when i was but a wee lad Mm. and there's a grassiness to it as well it's not too bad though. I mean, there's a little bit of a spicy tickle, but it's not uh, overbearing at all. Like, uh, I don't know, it's it's smoky and peppery. Yeah. Um, but very, uh, there's just some deep, uh, deep tropical fruits kind of mm-hmm. uh, right yeah. through the right through the whole middle. Now that you're mentioning that, I smell a little like the faintest hint of like pineapple as like a brighter fruit going through there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I get a, a little bit of like. Um, like mountain herbs. Uh, okay, sure, sure. It's very, very fresh, 
It would be, and, yeah, it'd be more like a, like a mint, um, almost than it would be. Yeah. I could see that. Maybe a little sage or something. Yeah. Or a rosemary. I'm running out of time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that joke. There it is. There it, look, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta try and keep up on that. Um, but yeah, and this, this at the local store where I bought this particular bottle is thirty eight ninety nine before tax. So, or, uh, yeah. So it's not bad. No, not at all. Um, and as Justin was like, wait, have you tasted this one before? I, I held up for our Patreons. You can see the uh, the bottle has about, uh, I don't know, six ounces left in it. So, yes, I have <laughs> definitely uh, enjoyed this. I actually made a Mezcal margarita with this. And I probably would use one of the cheaper Mezcals I have in the future. But, oh, man, dude, this with fresh lime juice and um, a good like Cointreau and maybe a little bar spoon of agave. So you pull sure. back the Cointreau a bit. Oh, man. That is an unbelievable, refreshing beverage in the heat of summer and uh, just amazing. Because, again, in that particular one, I want to highlight uh, what makes this so, so amazing. So let's oh, get absolutely. in and uh, let's dive in and taste it. Cheers. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's good. There's there's a really cool blend between like like a nice... Uh, sort of barbecue smoke and um, just very, very fruity mixed together. It's like you're at the beach and you just took a big bite of grapefruit and then you get wafted right in the face with a big smoke from the from the barbecue pit that you're standing next to. There's a little bit of saltiness, a little bit of astringency, a little bit of like acidity, but it's not bad at all. It's very... Mm-hmm. Um, it's very light and kind of dries things out. Yeah, definitely. It like heats up and dries out at the finish because yeah. it starts yeah, yeah, yeah. very almost, almost for lack of a better word, like like when you take a bite of a juicy piece of meat, like that kind of sensation in the mouth, like that mouth watering situation is going on at the front. But then by the time you fit, it finishes, it's like drying out like you just had a spicy pepper. Like mm. that's pretty wild ride. Oh, that's that's yeah, it's it's weird because it's kind of simple but it's very complex in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting oh. for the joke. I know what's coming. You set me up, man, and I'm like, I'm like jumping up to spike the ball down and talk about some uh, uni- unity and diversity and uh, simplicity uh, and plurality. Uh, oh, man. Oh, getting careful. I'm actually... I'm actually more talking about uh, the attributes of God and how all that is in God is God in divine simplicity. Mm, yeah. uh, and yet we also confess one God in, in essence, three in person. So like there's this, mm, Ooh, yeah, you set yeah. me up for that, but I didn't want, I didn't want, like want to joke too hard, but I was like, Oh, is he what I think he's doing? <laughs> I was waiting for immediately. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for the divine simplicity comment. I was, I was coming in hot, man. <laughs> well, no, this is amazing. Gracias to Mexico for this lovely mm. beverage. Dude. Here's a note that I have from Wine Enthusiast, just because I think it's interesting. Mm. Uh, Overall, a mix of fresh herbs, gentle smoke, and agave sweetness with hints of honey, tropical fruit, and Mm. almond leading to the palate. I'm really tasting the honey now that you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. With Mm. a mid-palate offering cooling mint and rosemary, and the brisk, fiery finish warms up with habanero heat. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, those aren't the words I would have used to describe it, but I always find it helpful to get other perspectives like it, that. It's a, so. it's not hot, but it's a similar sensation that you get from eating something hot. Mm-hmm. Mm. The habaneros. Mm. Mm. 
you know, I, what I like about Mezcal is that you get a good Mezcal. You get some of the same benefits as like a nice smoky scotch. Yeah. But you also have that very clean quality uh, from the agave and a little bit more sweetness than you would oh, get from a typical yeah, scotch. It's, it's superbly clean. Absolutely. Oh, man. I'm going to end up pouring a little bit more of that. So uh, watch out. But what are we? <laughs> let's get in with some prayer. Yeah. So if you guys have, uh, which we always recommend, the Valley of Vision. I know many of you do. Many of you listeners have a copy, um, which is awesome. As we've approached this year's end, we're going to read on page 204, the year's end prayer. Whoa. Uh, so if you have it, read along with us. If not, pray along with us. Amen. Carry us out. O love beyond compare, thou art good when thou givest, when thou takest away when the sun shines upon me and when night gathers over me. Thou hast left me before the foundation of the world, and in love didst redeem my soul. Thou dost love me still, in spite of my hard heart, ingratitude, distrust. Thy goodness has been with me during another year, mm. leading me through a twisting wilderness and retreat, and retreat helping me to advance. When beaten back, making sure headway, Thy goodness will be with me in the year ahead. I hoist sail and draw a banker with thee as the blessed pilot of my future as of my past. I bless thee that thou hast veiled my eyes to the waters ahead. If thou hast appointed storms of tribulation, thou wilt be with me in them. Mm -hmm. If I have to pass through the temptest of persecution and temptation, I shall not drown. If I am to die... I shall see thy face the sooner. If a painful end is to be my lot, grant me grace that my faith shall not fail. Mm. If I am to be cast aside from the service I love, I can make no stipulation. Only glorify thyself in me, whether in comfort or trial, as a chosen vessel meet always for thy use. Mm. Boy, in the end of 2020, tell me that's mm. not a very mm. relevant, powerful prayer. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's sobering too, but encouraging at the same time. I, I love that. I, I love mm -hmm. when he says, uh, I hoist the sail and draw up anchor, and you are my blessed pilot of my future. Mm. I love that, man. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's some good mm. biblical stuff right there. That prayer was of biblical proportions. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. <clears throat> so guys uh, and gales... Uh, Jews and Gentiles alike. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, come one, come all. <laughs> uh, it's Christmas time. It's my favorite time of the year, man. I love this time of year. I love talking about uh, mm. the advent of our King, our Savior, mm. our glorious God, Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, I mean, it's awesome. What, what, but of course, I think that begs the question, what really is Christmas, right? What is Christmas yeah. to those uh, who are in Christ, right? It's Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. It's not. Um, uh, what I see, I saw a meme earlier today, and it was like uh, the the look uh, the look on an atheist face when uh, presents don't evolve under his science mystery. <laughs> but, oh boy! <laughs> I mean, super lame, but uh, yeah. I mean, it's in the name Christmas, right? And so, mm -hmm. why? What is Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? What is Christmas time, Blake? 
Well, another term that you'll hear, and you used it right there, the advent of mm-hmm. Christ or the mm-hmm. first advent of Christ. And what does that mean? Well, according to the dictionary, the English word advent means the arrival of a notable person, thing, mm-hmm. or event. Uh, you could use that in a secular sense too. Like it's not a, it's not a religious word. You could talk about in the 1950 or, you know, the, the mid 1900s, uh, there was the advent of television mm-hmm. or the advent of radio. Right. Or we could talk about the advent of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a, it's not a religious term per se, but we do hear Christians talk about it uh, quite frequently, particularly in December and advent referring to the arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of the son of God the arrival of Jesus, the Christ. And obviously we also believe Jesus is coming back. Uh, all, all Christians believe that. And so we are, we would refer to our current age, whether you're pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, pan-millennial, all going to pan out in the end. Uh, we're between the two advents of Christ, right? Christ yes. came, he accomplished his earthly ministry, suffered, died, was buried, rose again and ascended. And we are awaiting his his bodily return, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're between the advents, but we are celebrating at this time of year the first advent of Christ, uh, the arrival, the coming of Messiah into the world. Unfortunately, in in Western American, in the Western American world, I wouldn't necessarily even say among Christians, there is a a missing the point. <laughs> Yeah. When yeah. we talk about Christmas time, um, unfortunately, a lot of people, well, and, and rightly so, right, have criticized the kind of commercialization of this celebration, uh, kind of becoming a, an excuse for greed, right, around, you know, we have Thanksgiving Day in America, and then the following day is Black Friday when we, you know, people trample each other in the stores to. Yeah, it's rightfully named Black Friday. <laughs> right, right. And, and, you know, and, and people are like doing that in the interest of getting sales to buy things, to buy mm-hmm. material stuff to give to each other at Advent. But why do people give things to each other? Um, obviously, we could go to Luke and look at that record about uh, sure. the wise men bringing gifts to the Lord. Um, but I think there's more going on here as far as uh, for, for us as Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why do we why reflect on the birth of the Savior uh, at all, you know, we we don't necessarily sure. have an explicit command, and we could talk about that later in the show about why sure. why some people in Reformed traditions do not celebrate Christmas, um, which was a shock to me when I first came into this this kind of world. But yeah. uh, I know you had a section that you wanted to to dig into for us to kind of get yeah. our get our teeth on, well, so to speak. I, I think as far as f- first jumping into why we would even bother talking about it, I think it's it's one of those things where uh, I don't think it's necessary that we you know, obsessively focus on it over any other part of the scriptures. Um, it's part of the redemptive history of our King, right? We, we worship a God who came into history, uh, through the form of, uh, birth of a virgin, right? Um, now this is a kind of a little side note, but it's important to understand that the virgin birth is actually very significant, not just because it was a miracle, right? But because think of uh, federal headship, Right. We inherit uh, sinful nature through the seed of one man, sin entered the world through Adam. And you and I, all mankind has been born of a man and a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ came as a, uh, a baby through a virgin. He came as a man born of a woman, yet not, uh, not of a man. He, he wasn't born traditionally. He was born because the Holy Spirit 
uh, gave Mary uh, Jesus. Mm -hmm. And because he's not directly in the line of Adam, (laughs) uh, he, there's some, there's some pretty significant um, implications of that, right? There's no inheriting of, of the sinful nature that we have that we inherit federally through our head, uh, our first forefather, Adam. Right. Um, Mm. So that's important. It's not just that it was a miracle because she was a virgin, Mm. but also because Christ is the unblemished lamb. He doesn't have sin. He didn't inherit sin the way we inherit Mm. sin. Um, He's truly was Eric. Eric made that point in, in good detail. What was that? The fall of man episode, maybe I I think so. Yeah, so through cardiology or something. Got distracted. Sorry. Carry on. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think a, a less common verse, but one that we should turn to often uh, during this time of years in Galatians, uh, Galatians 4, uh, verses 4 and 5. Uh, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that is us, uh, so that we might be received as adoption uh, as sons through adoption. And so, um, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in the fullness <laughs> of time, right? We have, uh, all the way up leading up to the birth of Christ, you know, how many hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecies pointing towards Christ, um, mm. and his virgin birth. And so we come to the fullness of time, right? Think about just that phrase, the fullness of time, right? God is coming in the fullness of time, fulfilling exactly when he was supposed to be here, coming when the prophecies foretold, right? Um, mm-hmm. The fullness of time has come. God sends forth his only begotten son. Now, begotten, not made. That's important. He's not mm-hmm. a created being. Christ is not mm-hmm. something that was created. He was begotten. He's the firstborn, and that's um, a matter of preeminence, right? That's not a matter of he was born first, literally, but that's a... a a matter of status. He's the firstborn above all, all of all creation. Um, and he's born of a virgin, which we just talked about was under great significance. And he's born under the law, right? He's in the old, this is like in the time of the old covenant of works under the law that God put forth. Um, and we were under the law before, you know, if, if, if we're not in under Christ, then we're, then we're responsible to the law. And if we can't keep the law, which we can't, uh, mm. We're doomed, and so, therefore, we're always doomed apart from Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes to redeem us who are under the law. He came under the law, keeps the law perfectly, and then something that no man can do uh, yeah. because of our, our sinful natures. And then mm. because of him, not because of anything that we do, nothing wrought in us, mm. uh, he fulfills the law on our behalf, and then we can become adopted as sons and daughters of the most high God. Um, that whole redemptive story, I think is of great significance. And, and I think it's something that should be celebrated, um, or at least, uh, talked about uh, on a somewhat regular basis. It, it plays, I mean, it's, it is the gospel, right? It's just mm, an extension yeah. of the gospel. Yeah. And as we look at that, right, even going a few, a few verses ahead in, uh, Galatians three, I don't want to go too far because if I go too far, we're going to get into like a whole, di- <laughs> we can go to a whole different topic here. Yeah. Um, but I'll pick up in, in 320, 329 after it's picking up about there's no more distinction between Jew and Greek. And he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir to the promise. And 
he goes on in chapter four, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, or were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And then he goes on about formerly you were enslaved and all that in, in sin nature. Mm-hmm. But again, as you're talking, right, it's this switch. We were, we were dead in our sins. We were in Adam. We were in the world, and because Christ has come and won his people, his bride, then if we are in Christ, we are heirs, we're Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise, right? right. And, Co-heir, you know, we could, co-heirs with Christ. Right, and we could go down a covenant theology uh, rabbit trail there about uh, what that means of us to be heirs of the promise and, and offspring of Abraham, but we'd say that for another episode. Um but the point is, right, what, exactly what you said, right? We are co-heirs with Christ. We are unified with Christ, but it is in this fullness of time, right? In the garden, mm-hmm. in Genesis 3, when man sinned and God gave a curse but also a promise, mm-hmm. he didn't fulfill it right away. And, and if you keep reading that record, when Abel is born, or uh, sorry, when Cain is born, um, Eve seems to think that this is the promised redeemer yeah, because yeah. Of the way she talks, like it. You know, I mean, I don't want to get too far into that, but like she seems to think like there's an expectation of deliverance. Mm-hmm. And obviously Cain uh, not only isn't the Christ, he I would say he's the Antichrist, <laughs> right? right? He's, <laughs> that, yeah, he, yeah. he's the one who is uh, the first to commit the sin of murder, right, in, in human history. Yeah. And so not only do you not have the Redeemer as that first person who, who you know, they were expecting this child that was going to bring salvation. Um, no, you know, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Oh, all I was going to say is it wasn't in God's timing, right? Yeah. And we have the flood. Then after the flood, we have Abraham and we have the children of Abraham and, and the children of Israel. And then we have the 400 years of slavery into Egypt and then Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea and coming and Joshua's conquest into Israel and the law and the temple and all these symbols and signs, right? As, as And that's why I went up into four uh, one and 2 there about guardians and managers that yeah. were over the child. Uh, until the fullness had come. And so Christ comes in the fullness of time, in God's timing, not in our Um, expectation. I think what's interesting, too, about that Cain story uh, is that why was was Cain mad and why was God displeased with Cain, right? Mm. He didn't bring the correct worship that God had commanded, right? Speaking of the regular principle. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. but anyway, so that fullness of time, right? What did that look like? I mean, I think there's there's a couple of different characteristics that we can look at. Um, yeah. Consider, too, this was a time of political preparation, right? People were expecting a political leader. Uh, mm-hmm. The Roman Empire um, had brought the, quote-unquote, peace of Rome uh, to the known world, right? Romana, and so yeah. uh, the world was in many ways united, like it hadn't ever been, um, mm. which we see in Luke uh, chapter 2. But um, it was also a time of economic preparation, Right. They had um, I mean, think about the think about the structures and the things that Rome had built um, at the time. Um, There was cultural Mm -hmm. preparation going on. 
Uh, the Greek language was like English is today, right? I mean, it was everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the whole New Testament's in Greek. <laughs> right. and, um, and also Greek is such a rich uh, language for communicating ideas, just the way yeah. that they, like, like yeah. even just the different words they have to describe love, where we in English collapse that right. very complex idea into one word. And then we have to like add adjectives to explain what we mean. Right. Right. <laughs> anyway. Well, and, and, and what's also interesting is that, uh, because Greek had become so popular, it made it easy for the gospel to be proclaimed throughout all the land, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is mm-hmm. uh, just a fun fact. Um, <laughs> and then it was also a time of uh, religious preparation, right? Um, mm. And so there was a whole lot of um, a whole lot going on, right? And so all these things are coming to a head in the fullness of time, and then enter the savior of the world, and they're expecting one thing, right? Uh, but of course. He's not the savior that they expect. He's not this uh, political leader who's coming or this this military warrior to come and and uh, deal with Rome that way. But um, yeah, so so that's I think when we're looking at the fullness of time, uh, right? That's yeah, uh, that's the time in which he came. Yeah, um, you know, he chose to enter in. Uh, so anyway, well, and then picking up right in Luke chapter one. Uh, in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph mm-hmm. of the house of David. Now, there's an important thing, right? We talk about, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes we can get bogged down a little in the genealogies. I know I always struggle through that sometimes in scripture. Mm-hmm. But what's amazing, why why did God inspire, why did the Spirit inspire, Right. right these holy men to write down all these genealogies in such exquisite detail. Well, there's a point going on here, right? We can trade what's happening. There's the seed of the woman that is promised in Genesis three. And you trace the line Mm -hmm. of that seed all the way to Christ. And obviously it passes through Abraham. It passes through David, right? You see this lineage. And so it's really significant that Luke in this record, uh, the physician, right? The, the kind of, very precise uh, gospel writer is giving us this detailed account. And then obviously Matthew, you have the genealogy, right? To establish uh, the, the the glory of Christ, right? But Luke says this to, to Mary, the virgin's name was Mary. Um, and again, I, I don't want to get too, too deep into the weeds here, but um, there's different words for the word virgin. One can just refer to like unmarried young woman or, or sorry, young woman, um, doesn't necessarily mean a woman who's not had relations, but mm-hmm. in the case of Mary, it is referring to her. And there were yeah. promises that happened like in the time of Isaiah, um, that talk about a, a virgin or a young woman conceiving. And in the case of Isaiah, it is applying, it is applicable either way. But then when the gospel writers bring it forward, the apostles tell us, wait, but this, this promise that God fulfilled in that time in this way has a more specific and detailed meaning in relation to our hope in specifically mm-hmm. talking about Christ, right? This fulfillment, like God has a, a fulfillment in that time, but then a eschatological fulfillment in the time of Christ. And he says to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Right. <laughs> and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What a th- I mean, what a thing to, to be told. But, yeah, by an angel. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the son 
of the Most High. Now that's interesting. Not just called the son of David, though we see this, right? And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mm. And Mary asks a very reasonable question here. She says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Again, reiterating that she's not just a young woman. She's a young woman who hasn't had sexual relations, right? And the angel answers answers her, as we alluded to from the Galatians passage, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is in the sixth month uh, with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response here, again, I would also, everyone go check out last week's episode of Reformed Brotherhood where Tony and Jesse dug into like the problems with the Roman Catholic doctrine of Mary because it gets really crazy real fast. But one of the things they highlighted is this, like Mary is an example of faithful obedience as a believer in the Messiah. Right. Like her Lord and Savior, who she was, you know, pleased of God to bear. Right. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. But there's so much packed in here. Right. With God, Mm. nothing will be impossible. And this whole idea of the spirit coming upon the power of the most high. I do want to differentiate because I think sometimes. People who aren't Christians or people who are ex-Christians who've. Uh, deconverted. I've heard people talk about this and they're, they'll compare this idea of um, the spirit overshadowing in some crass way to some of the things that are talked about in Greek mythology where the gods come and procreate with, with human beings. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a miraculous virgin birth, a truly virgin birth. Mm-hmm. And obviously when we get to Christology, however many parts that that series is um because we could talk about that for for a lo- so long right but what we're talking about right the one who will be born will be called holy the son of god again another reason why he, he was born of a virgin right mm-hmm. and I, I think it's important to note too he's not just he wasn't born um you know in a woman but he was born of a woman okay so mm-hmm. that says a lot about uh a couple of things uh he was of her flesh and blood he was flesh and blood. He came uh, fully human. He was fully man. Um, uh, something that my, my dad often will preach on is, is the idea that, um, you know, we often hear the phrase, uh, well, I can't help it, I'm only human when we sin, right? I can't help it, I'm only human. Well, when we sin, we're acting less than human. Right. If we were mm. if we were acting truly human, we'd be acting like Christ mm-hmm. when he was fully mm. man. All right. But we're Come acting on. less than man mm. when we sin. And so mm-hmm. he was born of a woman of flesh and blood. He took part in that. He's a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man, right? He's not fifty percent God, fifty percent man to make a hundred percent. He is fully God. He didn't he didn't cease to be God when he became man. Um right. but he was also a hundred percent man fully man sinless man um mm. and uh, this calls to attention i think the the uh the loneliness or the humbleness that he brought upon himself mm. the god of creation becoming fully man right the created the creator becoming the created being 
in man. <laughs> uh, well, and, and there's an important thing to be stated here. Yeah. I know you've already kind of touched on it, right? We talk about Christ, right? The son taking upon himself a human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as though, it's not as though there was a certain man named Jesus. And then the son decided I'm going to, you know, like pilot this man's body. Like that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's uh, sometimes, yeah. This, yeah. This isn't, um, this isn't like, what is the old cartoon show Gundam where you're right. walking around a giant robot. <laughs> right. But, but that's important to distinguish. Right. Yeah. And again, there's so many other resources and we'll spend a lot of time on this when we talk about Christology. Uh, there's so much to talk about um, because Christ is the, the center point uh, of the whole of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Everything points to and is fulfilled through and in Christ. The Bible's not about you. Oh, amen. <laughs> um, but to that point, right, we're, we're not, we as, as Orthodox Christians, we're not saying that, uh, that the son is, you know, assuming like, like is sort of, becoming uh human in in lessening his divinity right we're not talking about uh losing of what he was before like he never ceased to be who he is and he also didn't add to his divine nature i think right. that's an important distinction uh, that actually came up in a conversation a group that mm. i'm in um the question mm. about god's divinity becoming a man did he did he change his nature to be did he add to his nature um no he didn't he didn't his divine nature didn't change he's still eternally right. God, eternally the Son, begotten mm-hmm. of the Father, but he took on flesh. He did add to himself flesh, um, yeah. but that's the that's the beauty. Again, once we get into Christology, right, that's the beauty mm-hmm. of the hypostatic union, mm-hmm. uh, these dual natures of God that are distinct yet inseparable. Let me read a little line from the Chalcedonian definition first published yeah, in 451. Um, and again, I'm not, re- I'm not appealing to this as like, well, here's the authority. Like, I think this is a, I think... From my own study, I think this is an accurate summation, a distillation of what the scripture is telling us, because mm-hmm. we do have passages that speak of Christ becoming, Jesus becomes hungry. He becomes tired. He weeps. He, he experiences sleeps. truly human things. And yet at the same time, he sweats drops of blood. <laughs> and at the same time, he has divine power and authority. I mean, they, what happens in the boat, right? Jesus, they wake him up and he sa- he speaks to the waves and the wind and everything stops and the, the sea becomes calm. And instead of celebrating and saying, oh, Lord, Master, thank you for saving us, they panic. They become, they don't, they were afraid of the storm enough to wake Jesus up and say, do something. They didn't know what he was going to do. And then he speaks to the storm and it stops. And what do they do? They don't say, oh, thanks for saving us. They say, they become very afraid and they say, what manner of man is this that can calm even, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Imagine being a witness to that, right? <laughs> He stands up and he speaks and all of nature bows down. I, I can't, I would be afraid. I, you know what I mean? I would be, I would be petrified. He'd be like, what in the world? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, dude. So anyway, so, so the Chalcedonian definition, uh, states, therefore following the Holy fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same son, our Lord Jesus Christ mm. at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable body and soul, right? In other words, he, he was a full, true human being. He had a body and a soul of one substance with the Father as regards as God had at the same time of one substance with us as regards his manhood, uh, like us in all respects apart from sin, 
Uh, and I wanted to get down here to the two natures, right? Without confusion. In other words, they aren't mm-hmm. being blended together. We're not talking about a uh, deified human nature or a humanized divine nature. And yet they are without change, right? So the divine nature doesn't change. Mm. Yep. They're without division. So we can't over-separate. That would be Nestorianism, to over-separate them and to speak of Christ almost as if he was a divine person and a human person and sure. that they have different wills and different goals. And without separation, right? We can't divide them, we can't separate them, but we also ought not to confuse them confuse them, or um, meld them into something else, right? So we're dealing with Eutychianism and Nestorianism. <laughs> we went way off the deep end here, but yeah. it's important. I was say, that also peels off into why we have issues with Images of Christ and other things. <laughs> oh, dude, it gets deep. But uh, all that to say, right, what what are we talking about? We are talking about the Son of God stepping into time, taking upon himself a true and full human nature. Like, he was born. He, he went through the nine-month period in the womb, was born, had to grow up and was raised, mm-hmm. and didn't start his ministry until uh, about 30 years of age. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, <laughs> He did, and, it, and this is another thing, right? He didn't walk out and it wasn't like, uh, you know, a lot of the, the apocryphal fan fiction stories about Jesus where it's like, <laughs> like he's like a super child. Like that, there's no indication in the scriptures that there was anything extraordinary about him. Yeah. Like, and people are like, you know, silent night, like uh, no, no crying he makes. I'm like, have, have you ever, ever seen a, a human baby that doesn't cry? Yeah. And it's not sinful for the baby. If to he cry. was fully man, there's no reason mm-hmm. to believe he couldn't have scraped his knee. I mean, he was a man, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So those are important, you know, like, but, but that's all important, right? Because what are we saying? We're saying that in, in taking upon himself our nature and partaking of our weakness, sin accepted, he knows us, right? And what better mediator could we possibly have than a high priest who knows our weakness? Anyways. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. I, I, w- I was going to turn to the Nicene Creed too, you know, mm-hmm. talking about yeah. Jesus Christ being the only begotten Son, mm-hmm. begotten of the Father before all worlds, God from God, light from light, mm. very God of very God, begotten, not made, mm-hmm. one substance with the Father, uh, by whom all things were made. And then it talks about the virgin birth, you know, uh, who with us men for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. He was made man and then mm. he was crucified uh under pontius pilate and so on um mm. yeah that there's yeah mm. oh yeah so good man it's good it's stuff. so good oh man we're, we're like we're like teeing off the christology series we're like <laughs> all right come on come on now there's something interesting to be said here I, I don't know what you've encountered here but i know there's varying thoughts within christianity about christmas time and especially within reformed mm-hmm. circles um but do you have any any other thoughts before we kind of jump into that section? No, I, I just think it's important to recognize, and I think one of the reasons that we celebrate, I mean, we recognize that uh, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Um, you know, we mm-hmm. we recognize that the actual timeline is probably a little bit off. Uh, he was probably born uh, several years in a different direction um, than when we actually split the calendar, you know, uh, before Christ mm-hmm. and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. Um but that's not the point, right? The, the reason that I know that that we've celebrated Christmas is to recognize uh, that we are worshiping a God who became a man uh, in the form of a child, and he was the child for whom all time had been waiting, mm. right? And so we want to simply reflect on that. And uh, But 
historically, the Advent wasn't just about the birth of Christ. It was also about the second coming of Christ. Mm. And so right. I think one thing that's been greatly lost in the West is this mm. idea that when we when we get to Advent season, we don't talk about the second coming anymore. We don't talk mm. about the resurrection of the dead, right? The the resurrection of those who are in Christ and then the, the punishment of those who hate God and who... Um, who are going to be judged for their wickedness, and rightfully so. Uh, yeah. The wickedness that we deserve to be punished for, but don't because we are in union with Christ because of his mm. death, because of this birth in this life that he had and death on the cross. So it all goes together, and I think that it would be great if more churches uh, would bring back that that historical practice of talking not only about the birth, this miraculous virgin mm. birth of, of the... Uh, the child that all time has been waiting for, had been waiting for, uh, but also what we're also looking forward to in the hope of his return at the end of time when he uh, commences time as we know it and Mm. finally uh, punishes sin and death and puts to death death. Mm. The death of death and the death (laughs) of Christ by John Owen. It's the most metal (laughs) title ever. The death of death in the death of Christ. So yeah, there are Christians who uh, who don't practice uh, this particular holiday yeah. um, for various reasons, but um, sure. the one we're not going to focus on is those who argue because it's pagan, because right. we just described <laughs> a yeah. very un-pagan reason why we would celebrate Christmas, um, yeah. but rather those who, uh, who do so in the name of the regulative principle of worship mm-hmm. and, and uh, out of conviction. Uh, before God and and, and yeah. by means of honoring God uh, in this particular way. So go ahead and tee us off on that one, Blake. Sure. And I, I'm, I am not just to put my cards on the table here. I'm not at this, le- at this point in my conviction yet. So same, I am, same. I'm going to do my very, very best to represent this as far as I understand it. And I respect it immensely. I want to preface with that as well, much like uh, exclusive psalmody, even though I don't hold the position I respect it and I understand where the, the, the reasoning comes from. Mm-hmm. And it's something I need to wrestle with right mm-hmm. on my own. I don't want to throw it out, out of hand because that's too hard or that doesn't make sense or that doesn't, I don't understand that. Right. You know, I, I was EP for a short time mm-hmm. and when I was wrestling through it myself, uh, I, I abstained from anything other than Psalms for a time as a matter of precaution. As I worked these things out, Yeah, I figured um, I'd rather abstain than be in sin. And so I abstained uh, for a time. And then it was actually Jonathan Edwards who convinced me um, not to be EP uh, in the, in the traditional sense. But um, for those of you who don't know uh, EP or exclusive psalmody is the idea that um, the only prescribed form of worship uh, on the Lord's day with the gathering of the saints would be the singing of Psalms. Um, So we wouldn't have other music apart from Psalms uh, during the, during the service. Um, yeah. uh, number one, in an attempt to ensure the sound doctrine coming from the pulpit, uh, if you're strictly singing from the scriptures, you can't possibly bring in false doctrine. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, and that, that's again, one of the things I, I greatly respect about the position. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, exclusive psalmody, they just simply, they would say that all the, uh, the scripture commands of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is all referring to different types of psalms right. in the Bible, and therefore that's all that's prescribed. Um, I've actually been to an EP church, and it was one of the best services I've been to. Oh, you know, yeah. Even though and, I don't adhere to that. And 
just as a refresher, uh, also go check out Les Landfair's film Spirit and Truth if you mm-hmm. want to get a mm-hmm. nice deep dive into what is the regulative principle of worship. But just in brief, um, you know, you would have the normative principle of worship, which would be kind of a Lutheran view or Luther's idea, which is that if it's not explicitly uh, condemned in Scripture, then we can utilize it. So that's why Luther had a very different idea of the worship service from Calvin. Um, where Calvin introduced what we would call today as the regulative principle of worship, which is that the Bible must regulate our practice of worship, and it must be prescriptive. And Tony even brought this up in the most recent episode of Reformed Brotherhood, where he's like, because Calvin still believed uh, and, and made a case for the perpetual virginity of Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, he's like, I think Calvin got it wrong, because, and, and I think it violates RPW to hold that position, even though... Um, you know, there, there may be arguments to be had, but I don't think that they are good and necessary consequences to hold that. But anyways, um, whoo, all around. So how this relates to holy days though, is in the regulative principle, right? You have the old Testament holy days that are symbolic. They're a, you know, the, the, the feasts and the, um, all these celebrations that are prescribed in the old Testament law. We, in the the you know this this church age covenant the new covenant if you will um whether baptist or presbyterian pretty much across the board would say yeah th- those feasts are no more like if we celebrate those feasts we're un- we're we're forgetting that christ died and fulfilled everything that was represented in them um right like those those things are not there and so the other thing that would be followed there is like we don't have a prescribed celebration of the advent of christ like there isn't a there isn't a verse or a, or a or a, a section of scripture that gives us a command that says every year celebrate at the you know at, the, at this month at this time celebrate the the birth and the advent of the Lord and so some people hold that uh, very tightly and I respect it immensely. Somebody in the the pub even made the which I think this was a little bit too snarky, but they made the comment that uh, why why is everyone posting verses? Why is everyone reading Luke right now? And it was like, all right, like, you know why, even if you disagree with, um, you know, celebrating Christmas, you know why. Um, and again, I don't know if I, I'm not quite here, but I have, I have sympathy for the position and I understand it and I have respect for it. Um, even if it's not necessarily something that I hold to, um, but that's why you'll see reform people not celebrating Christmas because it, to them, it would violate conscience because it's not prescribed in scripture positively. And, and the other argument here, which I think is a good one. Uh, and it's a similar reason why people some some churches won't even do a special resurrection Sunday service mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they'll say, well, yeah, we we celebrate the the advent of Christ and the resurrection of Christ fifty two times a year. Every Lord's Day we celebrate, like every Lord's Day, which is prescribed. Every yeah. Sabbath is a gospel presentation. Should be speaking about the Savior coming into the world to save sinful people and his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, right? Like we should always be proclaiming this. And I agree with that. But I think at the same time, I do think that there is room for it. I think there is grace, but I I just don't know. Like I'm, I just haven't gotten to that point conviction wise where I think that, well, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas, but I understand and I respect where that comes from. So I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that, but. Well, I just think of the practical uh, implications. If we take that position, um, what other things in life would that apply to and where do we draw the line with what's worshipful and what's not right? Do we not ever sing any music that's um, worshiping God? That's not from the Bible, you know, Mm -hmm. or is that 
uh, or does that have a prescribed time and a place during the Lord's Day? Uh, or, you know what I mean? Um, just the just the practical applications of that, I think, are are something that I um, I am yet to be convinced of. Yeah, um, because I, I think there's there's I don't think there's a, a command to not celebrate outside of the Lord's Day uh, these sure. things in in other manners that are not not as though we're bringing new forms of worship right to God, but that we are worshiping God in in remembrance and in yeah. um, through the reading of Scripture and through prayer mm-hmm. and through fasting and time together with uh, family and teaching and preaching, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know all these things that are that are uh, outside of um, outside of the Lord's day. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up here, I just wanted to read from Luke chapter two, speaking of the book of Luke and the, the birth of Christ. <laughs> this is from the English standard version, Luke two, one in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registra- registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria so again, Luke is giving us like, we're going to do like the different way the gospels were written, but Luke sure. is so like this happened and this person was in this position and like so detailed and it's beautiful. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph, the, the betrothed of Mary also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David. Also, just as an aside that going up to, um, like there is also a geographical, like, going up to Jerusalem yeah. um, and going into, you know, Judea going and going up and Bethlehem is also up on a hill here yeah. too, which he's talking <laughs> about. Sorry, the scriptures I'm, there by accident. <laughs> right. This like, sorry, I, I got distracted there. Yeah. This going up to Bethlehem, right? Like I, we spent two night or a night in Bethlehem when we were in Israel and it is like up on this hill. So you're like, you're going up to Bethlehem uh, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, which is also another interesting note to those that try to articulate the the perpetual virginity. I don't think you can get away with it because, I mean, there's other, we'll talk about, Tony and Jesse covered that. Yeah, this isn't the, this isn't the firstborn as far as uh, status like we we have. Firstborn son, right. right. (laughs) And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Now, just as an aside on that, uh, the ESV also, or Logos software also has a side note here that it could be, or in the guest room. And again, when we were in Israel, we took a tour of this like reconstruction of a first century home. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like this two story thing. And you like walk in, it's almost like a split level, right? You go upstairs and in, in the colder months, like you would bring the animals inside and have them kind of in the basement area. That's basically ground level. Um, and they would basically be your, your furnace. And you, all the people would sit up upstairs and the heat rises mm-hmm. and there's a guest room up there, but there's no room in the guest room. So they go downstairs to where they're, where the animals are, where there's a manger and she lays them in the manger because there's nowhere else to go. There's no room in the guest room. So this, this image of like, oh, there's no outside in a, yeah, like right. a lean to with the animals. Yeah. Right. I, and I think in some ways that image actually distracts from the true humility of Jesus, of the son. Mm-hmm. If we if we put it into those pictures, instead of saying, well, no, like he he was there, like Joseph was going to his family home, like yeah. it was uh, there's no room in the guest room. But again, this has become such a cultural image in our minds. We could do a whole discussion yeah, there, about that. There, it's not like as though there was an innkeeper, right? Right. Let's let's talk about that more after after in Patreon hours. Um, but then in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Also, just a side note, the angel, you know, we see memes about this. It's like, <laughs> angels, do not be afraid. Also angels. And it's like all the scary de- depictions of it. So, so do not be afraid, <laughs> yeah. right? Fear not, for behold, I bring you Evangelion, good news, gospel. I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people, not just for the Jewish people, not just for the, the people that God had covenanted with, for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, those with whom he is well pleased. And when the angel went up from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. At the end of eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. Woo! The glory, man. And also, just like, I... How many times do, do angels appear in this super concentrated period of time, right? There's the promise to uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias about John. There oh, yeah. is Mary, the angel coming to Mary. There's the, you know, the, the vision to Joseph. There's the angel coming to the shepherds. Like, there's a lot of angelic messenger activity happening in a very concentrated period of time here. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so good. Well, I mean, they were bringing... Right. They were bringing the good, the, the best mm-hmm. news of history, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, man, and, and that's just another little nitpick is, you know, we mm-hmm. often have this idea of, you know, think of the wise men, right? The wise men uh, showing up on birth night, right? And, mm-hmm. and bringing mm-hmm. these gifts. It's like they were traveling for a, a long time. It, it's more, more likely that it was well over a year later uh, or more that they oh, actually yeah. came uh, and, and brought their gifts uh, to Jesus. Um so just, you know, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> what, right. And we can, we can get into that a whole other time about like these differences in tradition, cultural tradition and understanding versus what the text is actually teaching us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't like as much as I love Ben-Hur and in Ben-Hur, they do a very good, they, they obscure the Christ figure uh, throughout the film, which is pretty interesting. But uh, at the birth scene, at the beginning of the movie, yeah, you've got the shepherds and the wise men and all this and everybody's crowded into this little like stable in the back of an inn. And it's like, that's not quite what the Bible is actually telling us, but yeah. you know, it makes for a cute yeah. nostalgic scene. But on that note, uh, Justin, what are we doing next week? Yeah, we are going to be talking about dun, 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 the new year uh, because it will be the new year. <laughs> um yeah, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the new year, a little bit about our plans for the upcoming year. Um, it's going to be exciting, and I'm sure we'll throw in some theological fun for you, uh, as we always do. Uh, we're also going to be drinking Hill Rock Solera Aged Bourbon, uh, which I'm excited about. We haven't had a bourbon in a while. It's mm. been a good while mm-hmm. since we've had uh, had a nice 
delicious bourbon. Um, so yeah, yeah. Also, uh, Blake, um, we are still proud members of what? The Society of Reform Podcasters. This is a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a reform perspective. We've already referenced our friends from Reform Brotherhood, but we also are joined by Assurance of Pardon, the Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, Reform Brotherhood, Reform Pilgrims, Seeker Start, Sippin' on Theology, and the Steady Anchor Podcast. If you want a endless flow of doxological, theologically sound, and robust, and different, and diverse podcasts in your feed, head over to reformedpodcasts.com and subscribe to the mega feed so that you are always satisfied and, and uh, encouraged and challenged by different voices uh, with different styles of shows. I don't think there's another show quite like Distilling Theology out there, but you know what? <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, we're grateful to be counted among such good, uh, godly uh, brethren, mm. and uh, they're churning out some great stuff, so be sure to check that out. Also, check us out on Patreon. Uh, if you want a discount in the Distilling Theology store to get merch like what we are currently wearing, oh. uh, which you could yeah. see if you were on Patreon, uh, <laughs> go to Patreon. Uh, you can you can get discounts there. You can uh, see our faces mm. uh, live streamed, unedited raw footage a week before the episode comes out, uh, for just the price of a um, overpriced peppermint mocha from Starbucks uh, per month. Um, which, let's be honest, it is the holiday season. I know mm. those are tempting, but save the calories and get filled up. With theological content, <laughs> mm. oh! Uh, you'll also get uh, exclusive bonus content uh, that you won't get anywhere else. Uh, you will get video content that you won't get anywhere else. Uh, and for fourteen ninety nine a month, after three months, you will get an exclusive patrons only mug. Uh, you will get some other additional video content that is in the pipe right now. Oh, uh, yeah. It's going to be a nice New Year release sometime mm. in the early New Year. Uh, yes. So check us out there. Um, also, Blake, if folks want to get even more distilling theology, which let's be honest, I'm surprised that they want more, but we'll give it to them. Where else can they get it? Well, if you build it, they will come. And uh, <laughs> in this case, we have built it over at facebook.com slash distilling theology, where you can follow us for updates on the podcast. Uh, we need to be a little bit more active on there, but we're very active on our Instagram. Also slash distilling theology. We try to post six times a week, alternating spirits, glassware, books, scripture, just things that we're reading, things we're excited about, uh, usually tying into what we're sipping that week. So be sure to head over there, give us a follow, check it out, use hashtag distilling theology on your posts of distilled spirits, scripture, theological works, or combinations thereof. Or if you have DT swag, please share that as well. You can also join us in our Facebook group. It's almost 600 members it is lively. It is the most sage stage Calvinist group I've ever encountered. Can confirm. Uh, very proud of the members there. We have robust theological discussions. We crack dad jokes and share memes. Uh, we also talk about, you know, spirits and stuff. So definitely go over, check that out. You can also find us on Twitter at Distilling Tea. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. So be sure to head over there, check all that out. And remember, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you so much for joining us this week. 
Uh, we hope you enjoy the episode and enjoy this sneak peek from the full version of this episode available exclusively at patreon.com slash theology. Not to go regular with principle, but it does remind me of like why I prefer the Christmas hymns over like just the sure. generic holiday music. Because some of it is just some of it's just bad. Oh, yeah. um, Big time. And also, like we said, like right, the little Lord Jesus, no, no weeping. He like he doesn't. He's not crying. He, I'm like, well, I don't know about that. Was he though? I don't think that would fit with full human. I think that would actually that would probably qualify as some sort of mixture of the natures. Yeah. Which is, you know, right. deep dive in there. <laughs>